Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're going to be continuing our walk through the book of James. And we find ourselves in James chapter 4. We finished chapter 3 last time, and now we're starting chapter 4. We're going to deal with the first six verses as James seeks to address uh, church conflict. Now, there's also a uh, a kind of underlying... Uh, flip, if you will, because when he finishes chapter 3, he talks about how wisdom, true wisdom, godly wisdom, it, it's peace, loving, uh, agreeable, blah, 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 basically manifests itself through the fruit of the Spirit. And, and so we have to say the opposite would be foolishness. And then he starts out chapter 4 and basically says, no, why can't y'all get along? So in other words, he's, he's saying y'all are unwise according to what I've just said. So uh, that's just something I wanted you to consider. But James finishes chapter 3 by giving God's definition of wisdom and then flips it on its head in chapter 4. Now, clearly there is some infighting among the brothers and sisters of the church at Jerusalem. And how foolish it is to fight each other when we should be fighting Satan now, there are times to fight. For example, if someone teaches false, unbiblical doctrine, the church cannot allow that. Jude is very clear that we must contend, fight for the faith. Um, there are times uh, to fire a pastor if he's preaching false doctrine. There are times to split a church if part of the church wants to embrace false teaching. I mean, there is a time and a place to fight. Um, but quarreling, uh, for the sake of quarreling or fighting over opinions and preferences, that is all foolish. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. It only hurts the church and nobody wins in those kinds of situations. Okay. So that's what we're not talking about. And James is not addressing, you know, fighting period. But he's, he's talking about the fights that well up from our own sinfulness. So, um, unfortunately, as fallen human beings, we all have a sin nature. And it, also, it often manifests itself by our relationships with other individuals in a negative way. And that's a lot of times how we see our sin uh, put on parade is how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ. However, if we're going to overcome this, I believe we need to strongly consider what James talks about in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and I've titled it this way, Church Conflict, Its Cause and Its Cure. Church Conflict, Its Cause and Its Cure. Now, the first thing we see in verses 1 through 3, for those of you that like to make outlines, the first thing we see in verses 1 through 3 is the cause of church conflict is pride. The cause of church conflict is pride. There can be no contention without pride. Okay, number two, I want you to see that the cure for church conflict is humility. Two-point sermon. Two-point sermon, to the right to the point, pardon the pun. Uh, the cause of church conflict is pride, and the cure for church conflict is humility in verse 
of five and six. We'll see that. So very straightforward. Church conflict, it's cause, pride, it's cure, humility. Now let's move through the text. James chapter four, beginning in verse number one. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members you lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain? You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let me give you a question before we even get into the sermon. Do you want God to resist you, or do you want him to give you grace? You keep that a question in your back pocket as we move through this. So we see, um, number one, the cause of church conflict is pride. James asks another rhetorical question, then quickly gives the answer. He writes, where do wars and fights come from among you? Why are y'all arguing? What, what, why do y'all in the church that I'm addressing, which we believe is the church of Jerusalem, uh, why can't y'all get along? And then he gives the answer. Is, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that warn your members? In other words, James says, isn't it because you're selfish and you're prideful and you're arrogant and you only care about numero uno? That's what he's getting at. I mean, James is just brutally honest. He says, why can't y'all get along? Oh, wait, I know, because you only care about yourselves. And selfish people naturally are difficult to get along with. That's just a fact. So he goes right to the source. He says, the reason you have conflict in the church is because of your selfishness and your pride. You desire pleasure for yourself. <coughs> Excuse me. And that desire burns in your members, that is your body, and it creates an attitude in you that is willing, ready, and able to run over brothers and sisters in Christ in order to get your own way. Now, you may ask, well, how is that pride? Well, it is pride because when you operate that way towards other believers, you are inherently saying that your opinion and your desires are more important or superior than others. And all of this springs from the human heart. He says these pleasures from within the heart. No wonder Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or what about what God told Noah in Genesis 8? That the imagination of man is evil from his youth. Our own fleshly desires will always lead to sin. They are rooted in pride and self-worship, and they will always hurt other people. Another aspect 
is that we put our love in the wrong place in selfish ways, and this often causes conflict. For example, the love of money got Judas in trouble. Herod got into trouble because of the selfish love of pleasure in Mark 14. So it comes down to the motivation. Let us consider Diotrophes in 3 John 9, 10. John wrote, I wrote to the church, but Diotrophes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. See, when you are selfish, it creates conflict between you and other people in the church. That's what he's saying. That's why I gave you the examples. You see, he loved that spotlight and didn't want anyone else to be in the first place. And it's never really enough, is it? James said in your members, that old nature, that sinful flesh that we all deal with is very selfish. Lehman Strauss rightly points out that James is revealing that the human heart is never satisfied because look at the language James uses. Cannot obtain, do not have, do not receive. Give me, give me, give me. When all we desire is more and more for ourselves, whether it be more attention or whatever, it brings conflict into the church. Let me remind you, it's not about you anyways. It's about Jesus and reaching others for him and his kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It belongs to God. It's all about God. And this problem can even affect our prayer life. Because James says, you have not because you do not ask. And, when you, and, and basically saying, when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask amiss. Now, what does that mean to ask amiss? Well, he explains it. He says that you may spend it on your pleasures. How selfish even our prayers can be. God, do this. God, do that. Give me this. Give me that. How much time do we spend praying for ourselves versus praying for others? It's all a matter of the motivation. No wonder we can't get along in our churches. No wonder our churches have no power. We're selfish and even our prayers are selfish. To sum it all up, selfishness brings division and strife in churches. I want it my way. Now, we don't come out and say, I want it my way. We'll say it like this. And if you're a pastor, you've heard this. Well, that's the way we've always done it. Let me translate that for you. I want to do it my way. I don't care what the Bible says because the tradition is more important than the Bible to me. That's what they're saying. Now, they just don't have the courage to come out and say that, but that's exactly what's insinuated with that's the way we've always done it. They are assuming the way they've always done it is not only correct, but superior to anything else. And that is selfish. That is pride. I've met people that would rather their church die and close than not get their way. Matter of fact, I've met a lot of people like that. Must be something about being a Baptist. Anyways, I'm going to move on. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Now that makes perfect sense because the word is built on selfishness. I mean, look around you. Everyone is trying to get all they can for themselves and will do anything to others to get it. That is the way of Satan. That is the mentality of the lost. And it should not be the way Christians operate. So I believe what James is getting at is that, you, that when you operate in a selfish way, 
you're 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 truly being a friend of the world, or when you want to consume uh, on material things, you're you're acting the world. In other words, going all these different directions and strides to say this: stop acting like lost people while you claim to be saved. That that's kind of a summation of what he's getting at. We're called to be selfless, not selfish. Jesus instructed us to seek the things of God, not the things of self. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the cause of conflict in churches is pride, selfishness, whatever you want to call it, you know exactly what I'm speaking about. So when you come to church, serve others before yourself, Seek to do the things that bring God glory and not yourself because it's not about you. Now, again, there are times when conflict has to happen because if the Bible is not being taught or if the Bible is not getting the final say in the church, then that's a time to stand up and say something. But just because you don't get what you want or the spotlight's not on you anymore, that doesn't mean it's time to start a fight. That means it's time for you to grow up and repent and stop acting like a child, spiritually speaking. That's what that means. Because you know what a child does? Give me, give me, give me. I didn't get my way. I'm going to pitch a fit. I, I have seen more childish behavior in ministry from people over the age of 45 than I have from the children in children's church. That is a fact. It should not be that way. Should not be that way. But as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun because James was dealing with the same thing. So the cause of church conflict is pride. The cure for church conflict is humility. Humility brings healing. When we seek to serve others instead of ourselves, this brings unity. I mean, think about it for a moment. Would you rather spend time with a selfish person or a humble person? The answer is clear, the humble one. How many arguments between friends and families and churches are rooted in one or both of the parties acting selfishly? Almost all of them. Yet James says in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It takes grace from God to live the Christian life, to serve in the church with broken people, and to deal with our own brokenness. And pride only makes it worse. I remind you that pride divided heaven. Sure it did. Lucifer was lifted up with pride, thought he knew better than God. And got a hundred and, uh, excuse me, a third, I don't know why I said a hundred, a third of the angels to form a little posse. And him and his posse tried to overthrow God, lifted up in pride. Lucifer said, you know what, I, I think I can do a better job. And he was cast out of heaven, and heaven was divided because of pride. I would wager to say, that in a sense, if pride can divide the angel army of the Lord, then how much more can it divide a church if we're not careful? I don't care about pride. I, I, I think pride is garbage. 
Um, I'll tell you what the Lord showed me just just in pastoring, and and I, and I'll use music as an example. Okay, I grew up uh, on hymns and southern gospel, bluegrass gospel, uh, and that was it. In fact, I was taught that that was the only type of Christian music that was okay to listen to and that none of the other types of Christian music were even Christian. And I'm not going to get into my upbringing. I'm just telling you the facts. Well, in pride, when I started in the ministry, I, I wanted to only have Southern Gospel, Bluegrass Gospel, traditional choir music, stuff like that. And then I began to realize something the Lord showed me, and it hasn't been too terribly long ago. It's not about me. I'm not the one they're singing to. If they're singing for the right reason, they're singing to Jesus. And if some people would like to sing a newer Christian song, as long as it's biblical, why would I try to get in the way of that to get my way to sing the type of Christian music that I like. That's pride. And Christian music is supposed to be about Jesus, not about what we want. And so I threw that in the garbage. Now, I have preferences. I still love hymns. I love Southern gospel. I love a lot of new stuff as well. But I don't force that on people anymore because the Lord showed me that's a form of pride. You're taking pride in thinking that your way is the only way. And even and if somebody else comes with something else, even if it's biblical, if you don't like it, you, you get in the way of That's pride. So pride divides churches. I'm just warning you. Um, Paul spoke about this in Philippians chapter 2, and I think it coincides very well with what James is getting at. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. When we serve each other in humility and compassionate care, it will bring unity for when each of us is caring for another, no one in the church will go uncared for. After all, it's hard to fight with each other when you're too busy loving and serving each other. We can always avoid and ease conflict by humbly serving each other. God promises to give us grace to do this when we so act. Now, wouldn't you rather receive grace from God than be resisted? Remember, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. I remember when I was in elementary school, and this is the last illustration, I had a principal, and I, went, I was privileged and blessed. My parents sacrificed and went without a lot of things that normal people would have so that they could send me to a Christian school uh, all the way up until the fifth grade. Fifth grade being my last year in Christian school. But I had a principal, and he said this. He said, the key to joy is found in the word itself. J, Jesus first. O, others second. Y, yourself last. I would wager that if we followed the path of humility, 
as James suggests, and not the path of pride, that not only would God give us grace, but I believe we would have joy in our local churches. Ladies and gentlemen, church conflict, its cause, pride, its cure, humility. Keep studying the book of James, and I hope you'll keep following with us. And as we come to a close, I want to remind you that you can support equipping the body through becoming a cross-bearer on our Buy Me a Coffee platform, which is how I pay because I have to subscribe to uh, Buzz uh, Buzzsprout, and I have to pay monthly in order for them to host this podcast and to host it indefinitely and to allow me to post so many hours a month. I have to pay a fee for that. There's a free option, but you only get like one hour a month, and your episodes are automatically deleted after 30 days. But I, I use a paid option, which allows the episodes to be permanent and allows me enough time uh, to post many episodes in a month. And the way we support that is through Buy Me a Coffee. And so you can become a cross-bearer through our Buy Me a Coffee for seven dollars a month think about that you're going to spend that in star at starbucks speaking of coffee in one day and that's only if you're buying one coffee so wouldn't it be better if you feel led to support a podcast committed to combating biblical illiteracy by systematically moving through books of the bible while teaching some light light hermeneutics as we go for seven bucks a month. So I just want to invite you to consider that prayerfully. And if you don't feel led, please don't. I would never want you to do anything outside the Lord's will for your life. That's dangerous. But if you feel like you have the Lord's permission and you pray about it, then we'd love to have your support and be our cross-bearer for $7 a month. God bless you and have a wonderful day.